Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back, everyone. We are here to continue our epigraph series amidst our Rhythm of War review. We have just been loving the epigraphs. I think the epigraphs, as I have mentioned, are my favorite part of the Stormlight Archive because they have so much and often so much that we don't understand when we are reading them. Yes. And so it's like the most important thing to come back to and review and go over yeah there are epigraphs from way of kings that i still don't really understand and you're like hoping one day yeah, to come but back i'm like to them. maybe one day this will make sense so in the future you can come back to these episodes and hopefully get a little bit more insight or what we were you thinking. can listen to how dumb we were way back then when we didn't know <laughs> But if you are operating in the present, you should know that this is hashtag all spoilers all the time. We can be found on the Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, everywhere. We even have a Patreon that you are welcome to become a patron on if you would like to find us there. Epigraph 3, to me, is one of the most interesting. And before we dive deep into it, I want to bring up what one of our newest patrons Zeb has mentioned as just a a simple theory that I found really intriguing and basically they were like not really die hard about this there they were just questioning has this been ruled out we learned in Dawn Shard that there are four Dawn Shards and we think that the Dawn Shards preceded the actual Shards and so there's been a little bit of theorizing that the Dawn Shards actually kind of gave birth to four of the eventual shards or that like you can subcategorize the shards underneath the dawn shards yeah i think there's a correlation i don't know if it's as uh cut and dry as like adonalsium was broken into four dawn shards and then those four dawn shards were broken into four shards yeah because i think that the dawn shards are like functions of the universe and then the shards are more like functions of i don't know what to say maybe i mean the shards yeah the shards seem to be much more human characteristics exactly so like functions of life where the dawn shards might actually be functions of reality but anyways zeb pointed out that maybe our favorite character hoid As we know, that's not his real name, but a title of some type that he has taken on a a nickname or one of just the many names that Hoyd has taken in his very long life. Maybe Hoyd is the name that he adopted after holding on to one of the Don Shards. And it's actually an acronym. And I just love this idea. H-O-I-D. Maybe his Don Shard represents the Shard honor, odium, invention, and then devotion or dominion, one of the shards that starts with D. It's a simple theory, but I like the concept that we like we keep in mind that the dawn shards are 
precursors to the eventual shards that we know and talk about a lot more. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that theory. It is like clever and creative, but I am not really convinced that it has any actual merit. Oh, I want to be clear to our listeners. This has absolutely no evidence to support it whatsoever. (laughs) It's just a crazy theory. And I just wanted to start us off there and say thank you, Zeb, for being as crazy as we are. (laughs) Yes, thank you for your creativity. Today we have the namesake uh, epigraphs from the in-world book, Rhythm of War. As is tradition, we have a book in world that then gives us the name of each of the different books in the Stormlight Archive. So this is the Rhythm of War in world. And it is, simply put, some notes that were created by Rabaniel and Navani as they are going through their experimentations and discoveries of the rhythm of war or warlight. Yeah, it starts out as a notebook. I do believe that it gets formalized into a more formal book by the end that is uh, given to both sides of the war. So the singers get a copy and Rabaniel actually allows Novani to keep a copy as well. Her thought being that this will hasten the end of the war. She's like, I want both sides to have all of the tools that they need to bring about whatever will end the war permanently. Yes. As we know, Rabaniel, a little bit more free form with how the war ends, uh, where obviously Navani wants like the humans to be alive. At yeah. The end. Rabaniel is <laughs> like, yeah, I just want the end to be yeah. here. She's like, as long as we stop fighting, I don't really care. And, of course, this entire story is really, as we have talked about multiple times, about this relationship between Navani and Rabaniel and the discoveries that they make. And so it's incredibly important, but I feel like this is actually where one of the criticisms that I've seen of Rhythm of War comes into play, and it can be kind of exemplified by this epigraph or just like part three Mm. generally Mm -hmm. is that the difficulty I think of this book is that there's so much in it that we will only truly understand in retrospective as we look back it will be like oh this was important because of xyz Mm. whereas now it feels much like science does oftentimes, it's too new and like too fresh for, I think, a lot of readers where something like Oathbringer, because it was just, you know, so in your face with like the themes of war and loss and Dalinar uh, fighting, it was just kind of more clear cut. Whereas sometimes scientific inventions are made and people who made the discoveries don't even realize the importance that those things will eventually... I mean, I think the importance is pretty clear, but I do think that there is a building effect to science where, you know, the first step doesn't necessarily seem huge, even Mm -hmm. if it does seem significant. But as we move forward, everything is going to build on top of what we learn 
in this book. Yes, so like exactly. you can't take it out. Oh, certainly yeah. not. I, I think that I'm just trying to represent like one of the criticisms that I've heard of Rhythm of War generally is that, you know, they didn't really fully understand all of the different aspects of why this was important. Why are we spending so much time on X, Y, Z? Yeah, I mean, I think people just wanted more, more action. action. It, yeah. As they always <laughs> just like, do. Not that this isn't important. I just don't want it. <laughs> But let's go over why we think it's important and will probably be at least the discovery of War Light will be one of the key things going forward uh, in this story. So the epigraphs in part three as a whole make up some of the notes that Rabaniel and Navani take. And interestingly, the author... And the undertext, or the subtext, what are we going to call it? Yeah, it's the undertext. Undertext. Okay, so the author, the main writer, and the undertext, we know that in world this often happens as a woman who is dictating or is uh, being dictated to yeah. by a man, and then they write the undertext. Yeah, so I think usually it's a, a single author mm -hmm. from what we've seen anyway would be you know a single woman she is writing down dictation generally from a man and then adding her own undertext in scholarly works i guess maybe it does work more like we see in these epigraphs where one woman is writing the main body of the scholarly article and then her peers, you know, it's like a peer-reviewed journal. Mm -hmm. Her peers are then uh, commenting below, basically. It's like a YouTube comment section. And then um, we know, of course, that the Ardents oftentimes are male. And so there is, it's not always just a female uh, and female relationship. But mostly. But mostly, exactly. So in this instance, the main text and the undertext is actually switching off back and forth between Navani and Rabaniel. That was one of the coolest things when I was first reading part three and getting these epigraphs, like trying to figure out, okay, who is speaking mm -hmm. here? Who is speaking here? Who's writing the main text? Who's writing the undertext? And while we don't have confirmation of any of it, I did like lay everything out and like make some guesses as to who is speaking when. And that seems to be fairly clear just by their conversational styles or the way that they are approaching different aspects of what they are talking about. So we feel pretty confident being able to say who's writing the main text and the undertext even though it is switching back and forth. And I think that's really cool. There's something like so beautiful in looking at the text written out and looking at like these two voices interweaving back and forth and like harmonizing together yes. in this just wonderful like representation of exactly what is happening as they discover the rhythm of war, which is a combination of odium and honor. And it's like bringing these two, you know, sides of the war together, singers and humans. And like, literally, it is a piece of physical matter, a mm -hmm. book that is like proof that singers and humans can exist together in harmony. Yes. 
And I think that truly is one of the things that's important to take away and to understand is that one of the things that Brandon is doing with this epigraph and why it's so meaningful is that he is portraying in the epigraph what is going on throughout part three. And it's so like the symbolism is so layered and beautiful. It's just one of these great examples of how Brandon has not only just improved as an author over time, but is truly a master of his work and a master of this story in lesser hands. You know, epigraphs are a fine, common thing that you see throughout different fantasy stories. And they often, you know, you'll start with a quote or something at the beginning of a chapter and the quote will mean something to the rest of the chapter. But the way that Brandon is going through discovery, scientific discovery, that is meaningful in a way of, as you said, harmonizing these two different species, these two different uh, races, these two different histories, and then the interplay as it switches back and forth, you have your main singer and your backup singer, but then it reverses and the backup singer becomes the main singer. The main singer becomes the backup <laughs> singer and they are playing back and forth in this wondrous and beautiful way. And I think to me, that's really the most meaningful part of this epigraph is when you see it in that broad view, the details are interesting and you know, I don't want to like lower the importance of this epigraph compared to the others, but I do think that the beauty of it is head and shoulders above the other epigraphs. It's like, this is the whole yeah. point. This is the thing that is happening throughout the entire story shown in the epigraphs, which is shown in part three, which is the point of the entire book, which as we just talked about, will be meaningful across the entire Cosmere. Should we get into the text? Yes, let's talk a little bit about it. So we are going to read through the epigraph and we're going to group it together so that we can kind of understand the back and forth and the play. So for Brooke, when Brooke is reading, she is going to be representing Navani and I will be representing Rabaniel. And these are just our best guess for who is writing these particular things. If you have other ideas, let us know. Would you start us out, please? Yes. So from section one of Rhythm of War. I find this format most comfortable as it is how I have collaborated in the past. I have never done it in this way and with this kind of partner. I approach this project with an equal mixture of trepidation and hope, and I know not which should rule. I approach this project with inspiration renewed. The answers are all that should matter. In my fevered state, I worry I am unable to focus on what is important. When in such a state, detachment is enviable. I have learned that my greatest discoveries come when I abandon lesser connections. End quote. And I just want to pause here because I feel like one of the most important takeaways is that these two are scientists and they are making these scientific discoveries. And as we read here, we get this kind of insight into different 
scientific debates or like what does science mean yeah i love that along with their actual scientific discoveries we get this sort of philosophizing about how to approach science and like what is the proper way to approach these kind of scientific processes what should your you know mindset be what should your motivation or should we say intent be when you you know begin these types of projects so Rabaniel is coming at it with a detachment and to separate yourself from the actual events. Yeah, she's very utilitarian of just the answers are the only thing that are important. We just need to, you know, discover what we are attempting to discover. And Navania is having this uh, conflict where, you know, she has this opportunity to do something she's always wanted to do, scientific study. And yet she feels kind of guilty because she thinks that this, she should be focusing on how to save the tower and, you know, rescue all people, of the people. Yeah. yeah. Let's continue. This song, this tone, this rhythm sounds so familiar in ways I cannot explain or express. I am led to wonder from experiences such as this, if we have been wrong, we call humans alien to Rashar, yet they have lived here for thousands of years now. Perhaps it is time to acknowledge there are no aliens or interlopers, only cousins. It would have been so easy if Voidlight and Stormlight destroyed one another. Such a simple answer. We must not let our desires for a specific result cloud our perceptions. But how can we not, in searching, wish for a specific result? What scientist goes into a project without hope for what they will find? I find this experience so odd. I work with a scholar from the ancient days, before modern scientific theory was developed. I keep forgetting all the thousands of years of tradition you completely missed. End quote. And so there we have the kind of other side of scientific endeavor coming from Navani, where she is saying, how can you not want a specific result? What scientist goes into a project without a hope? And I find that is really kind of the underlying question that is very apparent in human beings, Rosharian scientists as well, is this idea of how is the act of searching for something, for searching for an answer, not also bringing your intent and your will and your hopes and your dreams. Like, the very fact that you are asking a specific question yeah. is displaying that you have a desire to answer that question. Right. Like, is it possible to really be unbiased? Yes, especially when it comes to these questions of a scientific nature and a lot of people would say of course you should be unbiased and you should approach things as just a observer of the universe you are just measuring what is going on but as uh, some of the more quantum theory scientists would have you believe the act of measurement the act <laughs> of approaching a question is actually influencing the outcome it is you know determined by what measurements you are taking what instruments you have what your own abilities are as an individual and collectively as a society it's so important i think to realize that 
truly unbiased fly on the wall type of observation of the universe is probably not something that we are actually capable of. We are the universe experiencing itself as the quote goes. So to pretend that we can separate ourselves from that is just that it is pretending like which is like interesting too though because i think you're right that there you know is always going to be an underlying intent in coming into a project like this however you would think that since raboniel came into this with sort of the intent to find the opposite of void light or storm light that she would have been the one to do it. But actually, like, it's Navani who kind of came into it with an intent of discovery mm. or just, like, intent to do science, basically, and, like, not be killed. <laughs> well, I think that's what's so beautiful about the the harmonization that we talked about early, because Rabaniel will say that she is detached and coming from it in an unbiased she's obviously much older and has been doing this for a very long time but it is her true motivation that is very emotional and very character driven she is trying to find a way to end the pain and suffering of her own yeah that's daughter. true that's a good point and, and like i mean extrapolating that out obviously her daughter is her main focus but even after her daughter is dead she is emotionally attached to mm-hmm. ending the suffering of other singers you know she's just like this needs to end Let's continue because I feel like the next couple of lines are really important for the future of the Stormlight Archive. Quote, This point regarding the Rhythm of War's emotional influence will be of particular interest to L. Who is this person? You used no title, so I assume they are not effused. Who, then, is L? End quote. So this is the first mention that we see in the text of Yes. L. Obviously, we will get to the final epigraph and the final katek that comes directly from ah. L. But <laughs> we know that L is this character that has been introduced. He, she, I don't know. They are. I think it's a he. I believe so. They are introduced at the very end of Rhythm of War as this He is a scholar of human arts or something. Very interested in the human art forms, was stripped of his title and of his rhythm when he suggested that humans should not be wiped out, that they should be, that he had a uh, appreciation for humanity and that they should be incorporated into the broader society. Ruled by the fused, yes, but not completely wiped out. And this- I keep wondering, I don't know if this has been uh, confirmed or not, but I keep wondering if L's title was given to Moash. It is, yes. Okay, So okay. he was originally Vire, which Got the it. one who quiets. He who quiets. Yes. And then... That is given to Moash appropriately. Fuck Moash. The title once belonging to L, I think, is significant. We also have not seen what powers L has, and he is the, like the last one that they don't know, uh, that the humans don't know of or have not seen on the battlefield. So lots of questions about L. 
there is a long gap until we get to the next Stormlight Archive book, so I don't believe we're going to be getting any more information about L until then. Do we hear in book what the emotional influence of Rhythm of War is? I believe that they're talking about the intent that is necessary to create the Rhythm of War. That's just my perspective though oh i don't think so i think it's like how in our light episode we were talking about how uh stormlight uh makes you want to act Mm -hmm. void light inflames your emotions it would follow that each type of light would have its own uh impact on a person i from my reading i think that's what it's saying but i didn't recall if we actually saw that in book yet. Well, if you know what the emotional influence of Warlight is. Yeah, like, would it be like the thrill? Like, inflaming you to war? I actually, I don't think so. I don't, but let us know what you think on Reddit, yeah. Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Let us know. Continuing on, Brooke slash Navani. Quote, In other circumstances, I would be fascinated by this sand to the point of abandoning all other rational pursuits. What is it? Where did it come from? I am told that it is not the sand itself, but something that grows upon it, that exhibits the strange properties. One can make more with proper materials and a seed of the original. The sand originated off-world. It is only one of such amazing wonders that come from other lands. I have recently obtained a chain from the lands of the dead, said to be able to anchor a person through cognitive anomalies. I fail to see what use it could be to me, as I am unable to leave the Risharian system, but it is a priceless object nonetheless. End quote. Okay, 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 okay. First of all, obviously we have to stop so that Tyler can have his microbe interlude. Go ahead. For all those who are unaware, I love microorganisms. Microorganisms are the key to the Cosmere. Brooke is annoyed by how long I have been talking about I'm going to just go get some water. Bye. <laughs> I'll be back in 10 minutes when you're done talking about if microbes. If you have not read <laughs> White Sand and you are unfamiliar with what they are talking about, White Sand comes from the planet Taldane. The sand itself is being used by Rabaniel and Navani as a way of determining the amount of investiture that is in different spheres. And it is almost like a way to measure the invested nature of an object because you can put a blank, a non-invested amount of white sand and then if you drop a sphere, it will infuse that sand or the investiture will be shown through the sand itself. And this is happening because on Taldane, there are these massive kind of snake-like creatures, most comparable to like the giant creatures on Dune, but they are like tunneling under the planet Taldane and as they are tunneling they are eating a bunch of the sand that sand passes through their system and as it does so a microorganism is excreted 
on the sand or as the sand is excreted from this gigantic snake-like creature uh there's a bunch of microorganisms so in the digestive tract of this massive creature there is a microorganism that is excreted on the sand and then once that happens the investiture coming from Taldane, or as we now know, the investiture coming from anything is able to infuse the sand itself. Really, what Rabaniel is saying is that it's infusing the microorganisms on the sand. I know that was a long explanation. I know that microorganisms are boring. However, y'all need to pay attention because it's the most important part of there's the Cosmere economy and there's microorganisms. That's what's going on here. I think that this introduction of white sand is kind of like a a way of testing purity or the invested nature of different objects will be super important to the greater Cosmere going forward as if you had any object, but let's just say a sphere for simplicity's sake, that's the way that you can measure and test how much investiture and so therefore how valuable that object is so it's a way of determining the value of different spheres which then of course can be traded for other objects i want to know what this chain from the lands of the dead is because that's the second thing not only do we get a bunch of mentions about white sand we also have a heretofore unknown like we don't know what this is it does strike me as very hoid like Like, this is something that Hoyd would really want because he's always Mm. popping up in different cognitive anomalies. Remember in Mistborn Secret History. So many questions. Yes. Because it's like, how did she get it? Where did it come from? What is actually the land of the dead? Because I don't think she's talking about the beyond, you know, like not the actual afterlife. I think she's talking about Threnody. Is it Threnody? But then we haven't seen any chains or like special objects from Threnody. Right. Obviously, we haven't seen much from Threnody because there's only a short story there. But like it could also be maybe be Yolin. Maybe that world is now dead. And so it's like the land of the dead. And the only cognitive anomaly we know of. What system is it in? Oh, is uh, Threnody's the massive cognitive anomaly? Yeah. Created by the fight between Odium and where mm, ambition. Yeah. Died. So then that's that's a strong argument for it being from Threnody. Well, and I think that cognitive anomaly here could actually mean a shard pool, like exist I in don't, the Hornyder piece. I don't think so. Maybe not. I think the but like how many cognitive wording, anomalies could there be? The wording of cognitive anom- anomaly is very specific. specific. Yeah. yeah. We know that Hoyd often travels between realms, between worlds, and he has said in Mistborn Secret History that it is both dangerous and difficult. In Mistborn Secret History, he like rides a dead body into the shard pool. And so this chain that Rabaniel now is in possession of, to me, makes sense as like, oh, that's a thing that could link all three realms and so you could be holding the chain and you wouldn't be at risk of like permanently falling into the cognitive realm think of how in stormlight archive there is the risk and danger of getting trapped in the cognitive realm what if this chain could basically 
keep you rooted or grounded no matter where you are or what you are doing you could go in between the realms by like i don't know conceivably like crawling up or down the chain you could move wherever you happen to be through the different realms that would be very powerful and important yeah i think that's right i think that it would be useful in uh getting to the planets that we know are difficult to get to through the cognitive realm not just threnody with its cognitive anomaly but we know that it's hard to get to uh cell because all the power has coalesced in the cognitive realm um and there's a few other planets that we've heard specifically like it's very dangerous to get there or it's really difficult to get there Rabaniel also mentions here something that we hear uh, from Shalon as well that the radiance and the fuse are trapped to the Risharian system, including all three of those planets, which she makes the joke. She's like, why would I need to leave three planets? And Marais is like, oh, child, how little you know. Yeah, it does make me wonder how this chain uh, plays into all of Marais and Thydakar's uh, pursuits. As we have noted. And the Heralds. Yes, we have seen a lot of the things that Marais has are from off-world, there's no mention of a chain. There's not a chain. Yeah. So Rabaniel has the only one that we know of or have heard of so far. Okay. Quote, As we dig further into this project, I am left questioning the very nature of God. How can a God exist in all things, yet have a substance that can be destroyed? I am not convinced any of the gods can be destroyed, so perhaps I misspoke. They can change state, however, like a spren or like the various lights. This is what we seek. Do not mourn for what has happened. This notebook was a dream we shared, which is itself a beautiful thing, proof of the truth of my intent, even if the project was ultimately doomed. I leave you now to your own company. End quote. Oh, it's such a sweet, like, goodbye death note from Raboniel. Yeah, I mean, there are, of course, a bunch of things happening at the end of the story as, you know, this is uh, building up in part three, leading to our Sanders avalanche that makes up part four and five. But she really is kind of like a fan of Navani by the end of these events. And she clearly has a, not necessarily soft spot, but not like a hatred for humanity in general. And I think believe what she says about the gods not being able to be destroyed is accurate yeah in the terms of the shards cannot be destroyed the power of the shards yeah i mean i definitely assume that's what she is saying when she says any of the gods yeah we know that the vessels that hold the gods can clearly be defeated or destroyed but the power itself as we learn from Epigraph 2, is the important thing and that it has a will and an intent of its own. And the next couple of lines from Navani are all about intent. So would you read those for us? Quote, Opposites. Opposites of sounds. Sound has no opposite. It's merely overlapped vibration. The same sound, but sound has meaning. This sound does, at least. These sounds. The voices of the gods. Voice of lights, voice for lights, 
If I speak for the lights, then I must express their desires. If light is investiture, and all investiture is deity, and deity has intent, then light must have intent. Intent matters. Intent is king. You cannot do what I attempt by accident. You must mean it. This seems a much greater law than we've ever before understood. End quote. To me, this focus on intent also is spoken about in the Harry Potter universe and the Harry <laughs> Potter books. Like, you can't cast those powerful spells, mm. the unforgivable spells, yeah. unless you unless mean Unless you it. really mean it. Yes. And it is, of course, the intent that Navani discovers is the key part of combining the stormlight and the void light to create warlight. And uh, anti-light. Yes. And- I think, too, though, like, this, to me, is a little bit of Brandon talking to us and being like, it's not necessarily the magic you want to focus on. Like, know that... Uh, intent and like command uh, that we see in Nalthus is applicable mm. across the Cosmere. As we have mentioned before, the Nalthians may be best suited for greater Cosmere, a greater Cosmere role because their magic is already so for focused. For so many reasons at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so focused on their intent and the intent that they bring. Maybe because of the form that their power takes in uh, that it's like closer to the shard itself. Because remember, breaths are just normal breaths that every Nalthian has are like a gift that endowment is giving to or is endowing uh, all of the Nalthians with. Perhaps that is like a closer or it allows the Nalthians to be a little bit closer to something that is universal across the Cosmere. Whereas, I mean, like, I think that's true of all investiture. Well, just like Stormlight is a little bit more kind of just, yes, it does have intent. We know that yeah. as Navani is saying, but I think that where the Nalthians have a leg up is that endowment seems to have created breaths with like this very specific purpose, this very specific connection to individuals and a very like it's, it's purposeful in a way that stormlight seems a little bit more uh, just kind of like generalized and broad based. Maybe totally. Maybe I, Clearly, Navani is saying that, like, intent is key. Light is the deities. The deities have intent. And so, therefore, the light has intent. I'm not trying to undercut it, but merely say that I do think the Nalthians have an edge. And maybe that edge is, like, purposeful from endowment. Yeah, I think, if anything, it's just that the Nalthian system of investiture is, like, the most basic well, that, like, all- it really is a, like, simple equation mm-hmm. of how to work your magic. And I 
think that like what we're reading here is that that same equation applies to all investiture. Yes, that, of like, course. You know, heretofore, it seems much more magical, right? Of just like, I breathe it in and then I do things. Um, but I think this is indicating that it is the same type of like, there is a catalyst, there must be a command. And if I'm not wrong, Kaladin kind of starts to discover that in this book as well with his powers Mm -hmm. that like when he focuses on the specific things that he wants his investiture to do, it happens or it comes more easily. Absolutely. I definitely like that connection that it's, it's not just Navani and Urbaniel talking about this. It's one of our, you know, high end magic users who is discovering this as well. Yeah. Possibly, It's a little bit more, quote unquote, basic or straightforward because endowment is the only shard on her planet. And so there is just a little bit more like whatever endowment wants, endowment gets. And there's not a uh, a balancing act that needs to take place, as we have seen on our other two major worlds of Sadriel and Rishar. That's interesting. It could be an example of like why that magic is more straightforward and therefore maybe why Nalthians would have an edge. I mean, it's also like kind of part of her intent of endowment. She's just like, I'm going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be endowed with this power. That's yeah. kind of my whole gem. Yeah, like I'm not going to make it complicated. <laughs> of course, we know that the power itself has an intent and that the vessels can have an intent. So maybe we definitely don't know this because we don't have a Warbreaker sequel at this point. I hope that we get a lot more. Someday. Someday. But perhaps the vessel and the intent when it comes to endowment are more in line. Mm. And that's kind of what we learn is the most dangerous thing that Harmony is afraid of and that we are now afraid of when it comes to Teravodium. But the good version of that could be something like Endowment. When just everything is working together, you get something that's really pure and functional and meaningful. So while we love the relationship between Rabaniel and Navani, we do know that this Rhythm of War notebook is eventually going to get into the hands of L. And L is going to put their scientific experiment to the test when he creates anti-void light and then uses that to permanently kill Lesion or the Pursuer, who Kaladin is fighting throughout Rhythm of War. And I think that's kind of the, the bad side of this equation, is that what Rabaniel and Navani discover with the creation of Warlight also comes hand in hand with the creation of Anti-Light. And simultaneously, we learn that these powers of the Radiance unchecked are what led to the destruction of Ashen. And I think that now that that power is, you know, maybe in the hands of someone like El who seemingly everyone is afraid of, even maybe Odium. He seems real creepy. Yeah. And that's kind of always the risk, right, that you run with science, like science in general. You know, you have the famous 
Oppenheimer quote after they have created the atomic bomb and learned how to split the atom, done something truly remarkable, truly meaningful, and truly important. And yet the first thing that it is used to do is to create a device meant for destruction and death. And that is what he eventually says after the bombs are dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He says, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Not his quote, obviously, coming from the Bhagavad Gita. But that kind of feels like, oh, Rabaniel and Navani may be our Oppenheimer, but it might be that L is our our Truman or our Eisenhowers. They're the ones who are actually going to use this discovery for ill, where Rabaniel and Navani might have been a little bit more restrained in their practices. I don't think so. Rabaniel was pretty, like, gonna do whatever it took. But Elle she seems scary. slightly less scary. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I think that Rabaniel clearly, and, and same with Oppenheimer, just to, you know, keep this connection going, is like, clearly they knew what they were doing. It wasn't just like pure, we're just studying things. Yeah. Like, they were making a bomb on purpose. The bombs are used to kill people. Like, it wasn't a mystery, but it's the difference between what is kind of theorized Verse once you give that to someone like L, they might be using it every single day. They might be dropping those bombs Fair. all the time where Rabaniel and Navani were more theoretical in their applications. Mm, I mean, I think it just comes down to intent. At uh. least Rabaniel had like the intent of stopping the bloodshed, whereas maybe L is just like all the bloodshed. Exactly like that. That's that's actually the voice of L will be played by Brooke right there. Let's wrap it up with our Stormlight Archive explained badly. I pulled one that I thought was appropriate for this particular episode from Dawn Smith, a book series based on a book series that no one will ever read. That's a real deep pull, and I like it. I have one from Brandon Lee Hull, who said... Crab's bad, God's mad, Protag's sad, Wit's glad, Adolin is fab. <laughs> Love the little poem. Obviously, Adolin is fab. 100%. We are going to continue our epigraph series. We might be combining the last two just because they're a little bit shorter uh, in a single episode, but tune in next time for the continuation of the epigraphs. If you have some thoughts on what is going on in these epigraphs, what Rabaniel and Navani are talking about, you can find us on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, all the things. You can also become a patron on Patreon. Just search us, Cosmere Conversations. We're everywhere. We love you. Thank you so much for being amazing. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. <laughs>